He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere, a radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This, this is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and uh, welcome in on this uh, Thursday afternoon. Uh, been up since about uh, two o'clock this morning. When it's when I got word of uh, a, a true Memphis treasure, uh, Jennifer Biggs passed away uh, after a very brief illness. Uh, if you didn't know her, and and I put a picture on my Facebook page right after I got the word from her daughter, who uh, posted it on her Facebook page, and then. I had several people contact me. Said, "Did you hear that she had passed away?" Uh, Jennifer was a food editor um, first uh, with Commercial Appeal, and then with uh, the Daily Memphian. But she was really so much more than that. She was just a delight to be around. And uh, the thing I loved about her was that uh, she took you to all these restaurants, many of which you probably had never been to before, or if you had, you didn't know they had some of the things she would order. And she would not only tell you how good they were and describe them, she would oftentimes give give up the recipe. I think that was part of her deal. I'll do a thing on you, but you got to give me a recipe. And I think that's one reason people enjoyed her article so much, because if you're a foodie, you don't just like to look at it, hear about it, read about it, see it. You want to eat it. And uh, she did it with joy. And uh, she never said a bad thing about anybody or, or any restaurant. She would concentrate on the positives. Uh, and that's one thing we had in common. We talked about it often. Was that I said I, when I did my restaurant show, my favorite restaurant, I uh, I never went in to destroy anybody or you know give them a hard time. I know how hard the restaurant business is. It showed that she, uh, most of her really close friends were restaurateurs who she got to know either before or after she would come in and do a piece on them. Uh, but she literally loved the, the restaurant business and everybody in it and really understood what it took to make uh, a great restaurant and great food. And uh, she would uh, just delight in telling the stories, and she was so good at that. And uh, she was uh, just, you know, uh, uh, it's one of those kind of things where it's like you're kind of associated with the stories you write, which is always why I always hated to do hard news, because after a while, that's all you do. People associate you. Uh, you show up someplace and you go, who died? And... With Jennifer, she would show up, and unlike some of the food critics of the past, and I won't mention names, but if you've been in Memphis very long, you know who I'm talking about. These people would show up. Their picture was always in the in the kitchen and restaurants and back of the back bar. And if you see this man, notify management immediately. <laughs> it's because it was like the Gestapo coming in, and all they were looking for was something to to uh, complain about and say how bad it was and don't eat here. This is a horrible place. I never understood the thought behind that. If a restaurant is not good, uh, it will not stay in business long. That's just the, the nature of the restaurant business. So you concentrate on the positive, help them uh, talk about what they're doing really well. The restaurant will get that and try to emulate that. Uh, these people work very, very hard. If you think about it in your own job, if somebody were to come in and watch you work for a little bit, maybe an hour, that's usually what a meal takes to consume a meal in a restaurant, and then walk out and tell you all the things they saw you doing that you, they didn't think you did right. 
it's just, it's an awful concept except the way she did it. And she would talk about the people who work there. She would talk about uh, the wonderful food and why you should go there and what it reminded her of, of other restaurants that she'd been to in the past and why this was even better than what she had had in the past. Uh, she was a brave individual. Uh, she, uh, she didn't complain even when she told us all that she was ill and had been diagnosed with uh, stage 4 colon cancer. Uh, but asked us all to pray for her, and then would comment on how great all of her nursing and doctors, nursing staff, the doctors, and just everybody in the hospital uh, was so attentive to her and, and uh, so wanted to help, as I found when I've been in the hospital a number of times. And uh, she did them the same way she did the restaurant she reviewed. She talked about how good they were, how good they were at their jobs, and how much she appreciated it. And it's just a sad day for Memphis. It's uh, We lose another good one. And uh, as we all know, we got enough bad ones here that uh, we don't need to lose any good ones. But the blessed part is for all of us that knew her especially, you may have appreciated her writings, uh, but if you, if you loved her writing, you would really love to have met her. Uh, she came on my show and I came back to 9:90 a.m. after being gone for a couple of years during the pandemic and I came back and, and I thought long and hard who would be the most perfect guest to have come on my show the first day back and I said Jennifer Biggs she'll just do it and I called her and I told her that I'd like her to come on my show and I said you'd be the first person back uh, on the air with me uh, since I uh, took my show home to do it for during the pandemic she said, oh, I'd, I'd love to, but why me? And I said, because the name of my show is Earl Farrell for Memphis, and I can't think of anybody that's more for Memphis than Jennifer Biggs. And she she thought that was great. She said, well, that's true. I am for Memphis, and uh, I love Memphis, and I love the people here and everything about it. And uh, I put up the, the picture I love most of her on my Facebook page, and if you go there and look at it, you'll see her smiling face. And that was just a sample of who she was. Uh, she was that way all the time, everywhere she went. I used to love it when she would do her stories. She would go with the staff, and they would go hit all the all the barbecue places in town, and write up all of those. What a tour! <laughs> I mean, that'd take you know eight weeks, and but they would every day they'd come back, or every two or three days, and she'd write another, write up another story about whether it was Leonard's or whether it was the barbecue shop or the rendezvous or, um, you know, just there's so many good ones. And one thing she would point out is, you know, you, you won't stay in business long in Memphis if you don't make barbecue great. Like as Memphians will not tolerate it. Or will they tolerate bad restaurants of any kind? And uh, she made a very uh, great point of doing that on a regular basis. And, uh but I really enjoyed those. I thought those were always very good. And uh, whenever I would eat there, I would, I would think of her and say, you know, I'm glad she told me to come here and eat because I hadn't been here in a long time. And she reminded me how good it was. And uh, that's that's one thing she uh, she did for all of us. And uh, she will be missed, uh, but remembered forever. And uh, as long as I'm around and uh, as long as other people that, that read her column and enjoyed it, and worked with her and, uh, and had her come in and, uh, talk about their restaurant. So, uh, uh, we, we pray for her and her daughter 
and all of her friends because it's a tough day for everybody. And then I also got word today that Saul Bells passed away, another great Memphian who loved Memphis and was a very big part of this community for many, many years. I guess I've been here almost 50 years. I got here right after Elvis passed away. Uh, I got here in, in January. He passed away in August. So much history I've seen and covered here in Memphis. I was just looking at some photographs uh, online of the funeral, Elvis's funeral uh, that was held on the 18th. And uh, uh, it was uh, just, uh, I'm looking at the pictures now, just a few close friends showed up. Uh, thousands of people were crowded around Graceland, and they had this uh, caravan of limousines. 17 white limousines behind a, a white hearse. And just everybody who was anybody in the world at that time was at the funeral. Uh, the, the, it was another hot, hot day. I remember they was buried in the mausoleum at uh, Forest Hill Cemetery. And then somebody tried to steal his body and his casket. The casket weighed like 900 pounds. And they tried to make off with that. That's the reason they moved uh, his uh, casket and... Uh, to Graceland is because, I, and they had to appeal to the state legislature because you just can't bury somebody anywhere you want, even Elvis. And so they had to get uh, uh, a Senate bill passed that allowed it to happen because they said the only safe place it can be is at Graceland. It's uh, got 24-hour security, has a wall around it, and uh, we will make sure nobody ever tampers with his body again, and nobody ever did. Um, but Pat Rayner, who took a lot of these pictures, good friend of mine, lives in L.A. now, and there's a picture of her here, too, that just is really good to see her when she was, gosh, 17, 18 years old. Uh, but so many uh, great things uh, have happened here in Memphis, and, and that's what we really need to concentrate on. Take a cue from Jennifer Biggs. Let's uh, try to concentrate on the good things we got to talk about the other stuff, uh, and I'm going to when we come back about the uh, the third Buster's heist uh, in just uh, less than a year. And uh, if you want to look at the video before we come back, you go to my Facebook page. There's a video I went and sat down with Josh Hammond, uh, the owner of Buster's, and in his office and uh, recorded the, all the video they have of this uh, attempted heist because they broke in. They were in the process of sacking up more stolen booze when a good citizen turned them in to the police, the police got their, their trusty getaway truck. Uh, they, they, got, they got away and left the rest of the guys fending for themselves. But they got one of them, and we'll talk about that when we come back. So stay with us. We'll be back. And welcome back uh, on this uh, Thursday afternoon. I was looking at some of the comments uh, on Jennifer Biggs' uh, passing, and this is Stephanie Holmes. I thought it was just uh, really kind of captured uh, her relationship with Jennifer. It says, of my 16 years of the commercial appeal, City Cross the Cubicle petition from Jennifer Biggs constitutes some of my favorite memories of that place. I called her JB or Jenny B. She called me Ho-Ho for Holmes, at least I think it was that. Uh, usually uh, in the newsroom earlier than she was, she would arrive. She kind of uh, sauntered rounding the bank of cubicles where the three piggies sat with us, but set down her purse, take off her coat, and we would all be off in banter. We all laughed a lot. 
Nothing made her or Peggy McKenzie laugh harder than someone falling down. We had a front row seat to the Michael Joseph Donahue, Dave Darnell, and two-wheeler cart and metal trash can incident, which was legend. She missed me tripping and nearly falling while walking into her daughter's wedding, and she was disappointed to have not witnessed it. But she laughed and laughed when I told her all about it. It was a privilege to be invited to go out to eat with her when she was or wasn't uh, reviewing a restaurant. Everyone at every restaurant knew her, not necessarily as a reviewer, but as a friend. One time, our dear friend, uh, Father Vernon, took us to lunch, and we drank cocktails in the middle of the workday and laughed that it was okay because uh, a priest was uh, picking up the tab. Ah, to say Father V for me, JB, we spent a whole birthday workday one time eating tamales all over Memphis with Michael Donahue. That was what I was talking about. They would go on these these uh, safaris for food, and uh, it, they were just great stories. That, they'd talk about everybody's reaction to everything. She was just so incredibly gracious and fun. Our last text conversation was February when I texted her about her story bartender. Uh, I'm sorry, it disappeared on me. Uh, here it is. Reviewing disappeared again. You can't touch the screen now and not have it disappear. Uh, uh, there it is more and don't touch the screen uh well no, it's not coming back up but it suffices to say that everybody will miss her she was a delight to be around and there's so many uh old fogies and people that all they do is talk about how bad they feel how bad they got screwed on some deal uh how depressing the heat is and I just never heard that with Jennifer Biggs. It was always something very positive and very uplifting. And, and it's, as her friend was saying, you laughed a lot when, when you were with her. I mean, that's what you did. I mean, she found everything uh, funny and quick to laugh and had a contagious laugh. And it's just, uh, you just wonder uh, why we lose people like that way too soon. Of course, if you think about it, people like that, it doesn't matter how old they are you don't want to lose I have some friends in their 90s and close to 100 and you sit there and go oh to lose them because if they are the person they've always been you really stop looking at them as how old they are now you see that person that is their spirit that really never does age it's just the outside that does and uh uh, in my age, more and more people seem to be going all the time. I guess that's part of the aging process. And I hear from uh, older friends of mine, the worst part is to be the last one standing with all your good friends because then you don't even really have anybody to sit around and go, boy, you remember this? Remember that? Because there's nobody left. So, uh, But it's, uh, it is a sad day for Memphis, and, and I try to keep it uh, between the lines. Hard to do sometimes. Uh, but I do want to uh, talk on a positive side that, uh, and it's not positive that uh, Buster's Liquor got hit again third time in the last year. But this time there was an alert citizen, and they called it in. And they were able to uh, round them up 
at least one. And uh, here's an interview I did with uh, Josh Hammond, the owner, this morning when I went by Buster's to find out about this latest episode. So there were five individuals total. They bring the trash can? They did. And they stole them, load them up in a truck. Bam. Yeah. Take out the window. And, and the truck stolen too? Yeah, there was no tag on it. And you can tell the, the bumper was already messed up on it. So, uh, let's see here. This is Josh Hammond describing the scenes we're let's looking do, at. Uh, on his computer in his office. Let's do this also, then we can go back. He has an elaborate uh, security camera system. So show you when they're coming in and just crash right into the store. Damn, I didn't realize they hit that column. I can go back and look at that. So they just kind of come on in and parade around in the store. And take the same stuff they took the last time, all the good stuff? Yeah, I mean, they tried to, but then, you know, the police rolled up on them. So that was the good news. And um, and uh, let's just go back to this scene. Did the police and, hear, I mean, did they just drive by or did they actually hear the alarm system? There was a call that was made by a concerned citizen, evidently. And so right here... Let's see. So they, they see the cop, right? Mm -hmm. At the top here. And then um, this guy jumps on, jumps in. The other three guys don't hear them yet. So there's two guys so, inside. Yeah, and they're this one out. takes off across the street. And then coincidentally, as he goes across the street, there goes the truck. And look at him run across the street. Trying and, to catch him. Yeah, now this car right here hits him or uh one of them or maybe he doesn't hit him well he looks like he's he on the ground for down, a minute yeah. and uh but this guy here um is an off-duty security guard in the security services so he was able to help out and assist this policeman which is a u of m campus cop and they got him cornered and waited for help and then got from what I understand got him um, apprehended him so that was really helpful well, that's and he, the guy they did apprehend, was armed, which is even more frightening. We think about it. a lot of these uh, guys come in; they just run in there and grab all the booze they can. But uh, they were they were ready to um, to hurt somebody if they had needed to. So the the people that helped the police, uh, the campus police, the University of Memphis, the off duty security officer, uh, it's what it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us to stop this crime, and we can do it. Uh, thank God nobody was hurt last night, and they did get one arrest, and they'll probably get more out of it. We've got to take a hard break here. We'll be back. Stay with us. Now, back to the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. Once again, Earl Farrell. Uh, thank you very much, and welcome back. Uh, I do have a couple of accidents to tell you about. There's one at Midtown uh, I-240 South at Norris Road. 
Uh, then you've got another one here uh, in the Malmariah Road at Quint. Uh, that was reported just at 3.03. And then your typical slowdowns, uh, Midtown Expressway, southbound, I-55, just before you get uh, across the river. And uh, Riverside uh, Drive is near nears uh, I-2 or I-40, um, the new bridge. <laughs> the new bridge. We all know what that is. Hernando de Soto Bridge. When I first got here, they said that it was always a, which bridge is it? Well, the old bridge or the new bridge? <laughs> and it doesn't matter what name you call them. They're always the new bridge or the old bridge. Uh, I just got a message from uh, Vicky uh, Gandy with Team Gandy. Go Team Gandy, because um, we were talking about Elvis a minute ago. And she said, oh, we met, I meant when I was in there the other day, I meant to talk about living in Elvis's house. And she did when she was a little girl. They lived uh, in Elvis's house at 1034 Audubon. And her mother was his floral designer at Graceland. Because yeah, they always say he loved fresh flowers, always had fresh flowers at Graceland. And, uh, but just all the people would come by uh, to see the house because it was where Elvis lived. And it was, uh, uh, it was all those places. I mean, every one of them is, uh, is a, uh, a tourist attraction to this day. And when people come, especially during Elvis week, they go by all of them. They go to Tupelo, look at his house there. They look at downtown at uh, uh, the, where they lived in the projects. And uh, then the, the house on, uh, is it, uh, over there by Audubon Park, I guess that's the where Vicky lived. Where that's where he had his uh, swimming pool, built a swimming pool, and had the fence that had the musical notes on it. And the house uh, subsequently was bought by Rhodes College. In fact, several years ago, uh, the uh, we went to a private concert there. Uh, Roseanne Cash uh, did a concert with a new album she had, an acoustical album she had out. It was really cool. There was probably maybe seventy-five people there. And she was inside the living room where Elvis, the house he used to live in, and they had uh, the house had they kept it exactly the way it was, down to turquoise te- telephones in the kitchen on the wall. <laughs> if we you remember those, uh, where now the telephones were uh, turquoise, that meant you were really hip. And but all the like the in the bathrooms, the uh, the sink was on a pedestal. It was I think uh, either pink or turquoise. And uh, so then they had photographs of Elvis and his family and people on the walls around the house uh, showing them in the rooms that you were then in. So it was really cool. And then had Roseanne Cash there uh, playing. It's really a a very neat evening. Um, And uh, But uh, that was the thing after he moved in there, before we moved to Graceland, all the neighbors got together and came to me, knocked on the door one night and said, Elvis, we love you. But uh, we hate all this traffic. We got little kids. This is just a, a neighborhood, and we'd like to buy you out. And <laughs> being Elvis, typical Elvis, he goes, "I'll tell you what. How about I buy you out?" <laughs> Didn't expect that. Uh, but he had already started. I think had already been looking for a bigger place because uh, that was just a, a ranch style one floor house. Uh, but they, they lived there maybe a year, year and a half, something like that, before he bought Graceland, and. He, you look back at Grayson in those days when he bought Grayson, it was, uh, there weren't many houses that were that big. I mean, you had the mansions downtown on union, uh, the hunt feeling home, the, uh, all the mansions that used to line, uh, union Avenue. And there's a couple of them still there. I think one of them is some kind of a restaurant now, 
And then you had uh, the ones on uh, over in the Victorian Village. There's still some incredible mansions down there. But as far as just regular, typical, uh, you know, mansion type of regular houses, there weren't very many around. So when he bought Grayson, it was a really big deal, especially for a kid uh, that where he came from. Uh, but then you, I was looking at a picture yesterday of it. When you look at it now, just the main house itself, where he started adding on to a lot of it, but it never was really gargantuous. Uh, and he lived most of the time in the kitchen. I was one of the crews that got to come into Graceland um, before they opened it up to tours to the public. And I'll never forget it. Uh, Steve Hutchison, who was a photographer, chief photographer at Channel 3, WREG, and I, we went down there, and Todd Morgan was the PR guy, the first PR guy they had there at Grayson. And so he, we brought us in. I, the, the, his cook, Elvis's cook, was there. And I sat and did a long interview with her about how much Elvis would eat for breakfast, which was pretty amazing. And breakfast would be, you know, uh, about uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> because that's what he would wake up after staying up till 6 in the morning. And she would make a pound of bacon, a dozen eggs, uh half of a loaf of bread, uh, jelly. It wasn't jam or preserves. It was jelly. In fact, if you looked in the, in the cabinets in the kitchen, all the glassware in there were jelly glasses and, uh, you know, uh, glasses that came from different kind of products. <laughs> I used to don't throw that away. They didn't throw anything away. In fact, that was the amazing thing about his clothes and everything he ever had, uh, was in the, in storage. I mean, his, his clothes, the footballs, helmets. Uh, I got to go on a number of occasions into the archives to look at all the stuff. Uh, just a fraction of it is in the museum and in Graceland. And, and there's a ton of that. If you've never been to Graceland, you really should go. You live in Memphis. It's a huge part of history of Memphis. And it really is very interesting. And it is a capsule in time of what life was like back then. And uh, on all the items you see that uh, he... Uh, held near and dear uh, are there and they will always be there and when you look at the decorations in the house you look at that and you go oh, that's kind of tacky but it, it was a tacky time <laughs> i mean think back to the 70s i mean who's wearing anything from the 70s now you got rid of all that stuff but if you were and he died in the 70s so you know that was that was what the the times were i guess you could only hope that you go during good fashion week so everything that you uh, are so, is associated with you is uh, really hip and cool, but times do change, and so it's just part of the times. Uh, but it is uh, just. I remember when I got there with the interview with the, his cook, and Todd Morgan said he had to leave. And he said, "I'm going to leave you guys here, and just don't go upstairs to Elvis's bedroom or his aunt, because his aunt still lived there." And I said, "I wouldn't." And uh, so we shot in the house. We shot in the pool room. We shot in the TV room and the jungle room. I mean, I was. this is back before they started really treating it like a museum. I mean, everything is an artifact now, but roped off and you can't touch anything. But back then I was sitting in the, on the couch in the jungle room while Steve Hutchison was photographing everything. And you had the eeriest feeling that at any moment Elvis is going to walk in and go, what are you doing in my house? I mean, it was. It was just because nothing had changed. Not one single thing had changed in that house uh, from when Elvis died. And it wasn't the year after. It was almost two years after he passed away that they got to where they opened it up to the public and uh, for tours and, the, and to tremendous crowds. And they're still coming. It's just amazing how many people come back. And, and it's all year long. It's not just during Elvis week. 
And I can't tell you how many people have come into town. They want to take the Elvis tour, and I'm more than happy to do it because I've got so many stories of my own. Interesting is that they all revolve around Elvis, but they involve all the other people I've interviewed over the years. Uh, and uh, and like uh, Pat Carver, who owned uh, the Pontiac dealership down the street from Elvis, his birthday was the same day as, as Elvis's in January. And Elvis used to buy a lot of his cars from Pat. Now, everybody used to think that Elvis just gave away Cadillacs, but he really gave away all kinds of cars. It kind of depend on who you were. And some people rated a Cadillac. Some people rated a, a Dodge Dart. <laughs> I don't think they made Dodge Darts back then, but uh, you got a Trans Am or a, a four-door Pontiac uh, Bonneville. They were still great cars. And his, his old deal, and Vernon was the one that uh, – that cut all the deals and his, he would tell the Cadillac dealership, Bud Davis or Pat Carter, uh, you can get your usual 10% markup, but don't, don't gouge us and we'll never do business with you again. I don't think anybody ever gouged him. And it was interesting. Uh, he told me that if Elvis was going to write the check for it and occasionally he would, he would come outside and write it on the hood of the car. Cause he had a firm policy about never doing business in Graceland because Graceland was his home. And it didn't work in your home, man, because that, that was his refuge. That was where he came to relax. And they had an office out back, and he, they would do business back out there. But nothing didn't talk business, didn't uh, sign it, write any checks, didn't sign contracts, nothing like that ever happened inside Graceland. But Pat did tell me he was there one night having dinner at one of Elvis's birthdays, close to when he died. And they went for a walk after dinner out there in the uh, grass area in Graceland. And he was telling Pat how tired he was. And Pat goes, man, you're Elvis. Take a vacation. <laughs> go, go relax someplace. Go, go to the islands or, you know, the Bahamas someplace or go rent an island. You got your own airplane. You can go anywhere. And he said, I don't mean that. I mean, I'm, I'm just tired of being Elvis. I mean, you know, I can't just show up someplace wearing a golf shirt and, and shorts. I mean, they expect me to come in with the entourage all dressed up with my rings and my sunglasses and, you know, some days I just want to be just, you know, kind of slouchy and uh, put on some shorts and go hang out, which he did when he was younger. But as he got older, he felt like he had to live up to this image. And he just said, I'm I'm really tired, which you can only imagine what that would be like. Me, I would have said, I ain't dressing up today. <laughs> I'm wearing jeans, boots, and, uh, and a T-shirt. And I don't like it. <laughs> but that's why Elvis was Elvis. At any rate, we got to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Stay with us. And welcome back on a Thursday afternoon. And uh, Anheuser Bush, uh, Air Billy Bush, not the guy that uh, was famous on TMZ, but uh, one of the heirs to the Bush fortune, Bush Gardens. Uh, Bush Stadium used to be the uh, the Cardinals. I don't know if they still own the Cardinals or not. But he said he would be willing to buy back the company that bears his name if Anheuser-Busch InBev, the international beer corporation that owns the brand, would offer to sell it. You could bet it wouldn't be for what they would have sold it for. Bush told OutKick host Tommy Loren that Anheuser-Busch InBev will experience a long road to recovery, assuming he can recover at all. After the months-long boycott uh, for partnering with transgender activist Dylan Mulvaney, 
If the conglomerate wants to sell what they may view as a liability, Bush said he would be happy to buy it. If they want to, don't want that brand any longer, sell it back to the Bush family. Sell it to me. I'll be the first in line to buy that brand back from you, and we'll make that brand great again, he said. Bush stated the first thing he would do is apologize to Bud Light's customers and restore the culture of Anheuser-Busch, which was known for appreciation of its employees and its customers, and that is very true. However, the culture is completely gone, Bush said. They knew that who their drinkers were. They were with the bar owners and the restaurant owners and the liquor store owners and talked to these people day in and day out. Even my dad, at 89 years old, 90 years old, he was still going to the bars selling Budweiser back in those days. Bush continued, we've always cared very, very much about the people in America. What made this company great was America, of course. Bush added, when you are a foreign company and you rely on those woke students that are coming out of these woke colleges to do your advertising for you, you're making a big mistake. You need to go out there and understand who your customers are. Now, my family had a relationship with the Bush family. Um, my uh, family's ranch was in Texas, and uh, Hoyt Baird, who was the head of uh, Mrs. Baird's Bakery, which was a uh, a uh, family-owned bakery that was all over Texas. In fact, I worked in the Mrs. Bear's Bread uh, Bread Factory in Austin when I was in school there. I'd go to work at midnight, get off at 6 in the morning, three days a week. Love that job. But it got me ready for morning television. Uh, but they would, uh, they were very uh, close-knit. Uh, Hoyt and, and August Bush uh, were great friends, and they would run at each other at these conventions because both of them bought barley and, and wheat. That's what they made their products with. And uh, some of the animals that we had at the ranch, uh, black buck antelopes, fallow, axes, a lot of the exotics came from bush gardens uh, in Florida. They would bring them in on that uh, big, the big Clydesdale trailers that they hauled the Clydesdale horses around in. Another great story was uh, Nick Burgess uh, down at the Rendezvous. At one time, the Rendezvous sold more Michelob draft beer than any other facility in the entire United States. And so uh, when one time they brought the Budweiser uh, horses, uh, the Lee Clydesdales, to Memphis for some type of an event, they said, Nick, you want to ride up on the top of the, the wagon? He said, sure, man. They, they got him the uniform, the you know the, the buttoned-up black jacket with the hat and and they had the dog up there and the, the driver. He said it was, it was an incredible experience. They also, uh, I forget who it was, uh, they sent their jet down to pick him up to fly him to Vegas for one of the big uh, boxing fights out there. And he said, uh, they and the, the tickets they had, he was sitting right next to Bill Cosby. So they were very much knew who their market was. They uh, knew the love uh, for tradition that America has. And uh, Budweiser had, I mean, uh, when I was in college, that was the beer we drank. I remember when Coors came around because that was, you couldn't get it in Texas. So somebody showed up with a case of Coors that became the hottest party in town until the Coors was gone. <laughs> and then he, who's got a Budweiser. And then years later is when they came out with Bud Light in uh, the Bud and the light. Uh, you know, of course you always had the other people said, now I'm drinking full octane. Thank you very much. But I think it would be great if, uh, Billy Bush would, uh, buy back, uh, Bud Light. I don't know if they'll sell it. I mean, they'll probably ride it right into the ground just because uh, uh, that's what uh, a lot of corporations do right now. I mean, you look at a lot of them, they're losing money. Like uh, Ford, Ford continues to lose billions of dollars on their electric vehicles. 
We're going to have somebody on from Blue Oval, which is what's going to, this could be their main plant for making the uh, electric truck. Uh, but they keep losing money, and you have to wonder how long will they continue to lose money before they finally say, this thing ain't working. When it starts working and people start buying vehicles, but what comes first, the vehicle or the desire to own one? I think what they're counting on is uh, the the price of uh, gasoline going up, which it is. Although I did buy gas today at Costco for um, three twenty one, as opposed to uh, you know around the country, it's going for four dollars, five dollars out in California. So get by Costco quick, going up. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll come back. We're talk football. Stay with us. He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere, a radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This This is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and welcome back. Joining me in the studio is Mike Adamson, who is um, a local businessman. He used to be uh, one of the lead sales guys here at uh, Mighty 990 AM, KWAM. And uh, then he went to work uh, really for himself, uh, uh-huh. and he's got a business now. He, he sells everything. You just say, <laughs> what do you need? i get it for you. Well, it's not quite like that, but it's close. I have the access of being able to get many, many items, but... Uh, so mostly work in the world of uh, shop supplies for you know maintenance shops, um, nuts and bolts, um, cutting tools, which ends up being your drill bits, things like that. But um, calling on most of the time, the places that I call on, they need the product, so it's not like you got to go in there and twist them to go. Hey, you need to try this greatest latest thing, but uh, you kind of usually find us a, a, a problem that they're having and throw them, show them a solution. I remember back during the pandemic, it was supplying the product. They were having a hard time getting, that's how you got your foot at the door. Like, cause all your stuff just about is made in America. Right? Yeah. But I, I'm lucky enough. Uh, Bluff city supplies is the name of the place, but about 85% of the, uh, the stuff that I have, um, is American made. Uh, you know, some things you can't, you can't avoid. Um, you know, and then there's items, you know, just like your nuts and bolts, your fasteners, things like that. You can get them, uh, made overseas or you can get them made in America. Uh, there is a difference in the price when, when that happens. I think it's really on, on the nuts and bolts. If people don't realize this, but a, a single bolt can be tracked clear back to the roll of wire that it came from. You're kidding. And I, I think that's neat how they, they're able to do that. And I, I think that's definitely one of the advantages of going with, uh, American made products. Cause I, you know, I think some of those other countries, do you, do you trust everything that they're, uh, they're doing to keep the records and stuff like that. Well, you want to think there's a lot of money in nuts and bolts, but I went uh, recently to the hardware store to buy some <laughs> wing nuts um, to uh, uh, use on my accent lights because they have these flathead screws that go uh-huh. in there, but it's, uh, just you got to get down to your back and look up at it to be able to unscrew them. So I thought a wing nut would just, I'd just replace it with that. So I went down there with one of the little bowls and tried to size it by putting the, the two bottoms together, you know, uh-huh. and see if it, was, it would get the same dimensions. And so I found four, which is what I needed, and they I got up there. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, four little bolts, about like little bitty <laughs> things, would be about fifty cents. Yeah. 
and they were four dollars each. <laughs> four dollars each. I said there there has to be a mistake. It obviously maybe depend on the type of material it was made of stainless steels. It wasn't titanium. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't gold or silver. It was. Uh, it looked like uh, just, just stainless steel. You, you know what I I do? What you're just doing? Hey, I just need these two bolts. Yeah. to Get two people showing me. Hey, I'm. A, oh yeah, I match them. And then you take them back, and you're just a hair off. Yeah, and they don't fit. <laughs> um, just so you know, because I'm not the smartest guy in the world, I have this little plastic. Uh, it's like a card, and you can still you can stick the. Uh, so you screw them in that, and that tells you it was a, <laughs> exactly I, what size I, I it need is. one of those. Is what I need. <laughs> it, it it definitely comes in handy, but it's amazing the guys that you work with. That, you know, you go into a truck shop, and they can pick them out. But oh, there it is. They yeah. they know the size just by looking at it's them because all the they time. deal with it all the yeah. time. Yeah, um, I'm I'm not quite that smart, but I can provide them with their nuts and bolts. I can do that with shoes. I can look at a pair of shoes. I go, I can't get my foot in that. Are you sure? Yes, I am. I can tell. I can just look at it and say that my foot is not going in that. Well, it took you years to get to that point, though. Yes, it is. Yeah. And, and, it, and about the time I'm really good at it, uh, I'll start be going, what, who? <laughs> so you just got back from, from about a week of traveling oh, it, everywhere. I've been a busy week. As I, as I, actually a little tired, but um, I, I'll, I'll give you the quick, quick, the quick trip. Tip short trip. version. Is <laughs> yes. that what you're trying to <laughs> I can't get it out. I uh, went to South Carolina. I was out there for about seven days. Actually, that was more of a. I, I, hel- I was helping a friend move. Did some stuff there. Uh, came back. Um, went to New Orleans for four days. Went to Baton Rouge for two days for work, and then thought we'd go down and have some fun in New Orleans. And then uh, got back, and I went to uh, North Carolina to Jacksonville to see my son for about three or four days. And is he still in the Marines? He's still in the Marines, uh, staff sergeant out in uh, Jacksonville, uh, North Carolina. What's his job now? He's a, uh, <laughs> I always, I forget the title of it, but logistics is his, is his main thing. But he's in charge, he's like a service manager for their whole uh, platoon. And it uh, does a pretty good job of it. Uh, just got recommended to get uh, uh, Gunny Sergeant, I think is yeah. the next one. And uh, it, that, that's a big deal for him. So Yeah, it is. The, uh, the the Marines have been very good for him, and I th- you know every place finds their good niche, and for the most part, it's done really done really well for him. But um, we were out, I was out there for three days, four days, and uh, it's amazing the amount of people that are out there when it's that hot. Yeah, it's because uh, there the thing that people don't realize about Jacksonville is that uh, it's it's like a big lake. Mm-hmm. The ocean is. But they're not like big waves rolling in, right? Yeah, it, it's in fact it's so it, they have their little boat harbor, uh, harbor, and uh, then you kind of go out there and you like you, I, I never thought about it, but it's like a big lake. Yeah. And uh, I, I enjoy going down there. My son Zach, he not he's not as much of a, a lake, you know, not, fisherman. Yeah, I, I like to sit out on or you know, sit on the patio and you know have a drink, get some food, stuff like that. Um, and I could do that about anywhere, but uh, he he doesn't enjoy that. I think he's a little bit younger than me, maybe. As yeah, an experience. He still has a life. <laughs> could, be, could be part of it. When you get to your age, you sit, out, sit and have a beverage and stare into nothing, and you're happy. Uh, so were, were your beverages uh, Bud Light? Uh, I, 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 I've been passing on Bud Light a little bit. Did you used to drink Bud Light? I, I, Bud Light was my drink of choice. Really? It really was. And I tell you, one of the I thought was really interesting, when we were down in New Orleans, there was two things. Um, we got there and did not know they had a humongous event going on called the uh, – red dress run and it's a 5k run where everybody wears red dress high heels things like that and it's for 
for everybody. It's a bit, it's a charity fundraiser for things that go on there in New Orleans. There was about uh, twenty five thousand people there wow. for this, all dressed in red dress. <laughs> and we we were not prepared for that. Uh, so Mike <laughs> Adamson in his khaki uh, uh, shorts and uh, t shirt and ball cap stuck out big time. <laughs> but where I was going with that was there, there were several of the bars down there that uh, they were not serving. They they did not serve Bud Light at all. Really, um, and as we we were very surprised by that. Um, but you know. People have choices. It's their choice, and they can do what they need to do. Well, it's it is amazing because I think they've lost something like twenty nine billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So, and you were saying a minute ago that at one time Budweiser was the number one selling domestic beer uh, in this country. Mm-hmm. Selling sold so much that it beat out the second, third, fourth, and fifth beers combined. Combined didn't sell as much as Budweiser yeah. did. At, at the time, Bud Light was the number one seller. It's been that way for a long time. I think Bud Light came back, came out in, I think, 84, some, somewhere in that range. And uh, came out, you know, slowly rose to the top. Once it got to the top, man, it just... Grabbed hold, stayed. And, and it, it, it was the top beer for a long, long time. But you time. think back to their, their advertising, too. At Christmas time, it was the Clydesdales. <laughs> it was those horses that were out there playing football in the snow. It was all these, you know poignant uh commercials that that identified their product with american values and country and patriotism and then and they just blew it well and as you said the cool part about all their commercials that you like it was always about an experience yeah the the beer was was second in the commercial but if you think about that that's the way life is yeah but it's it was always there yeah and it it, pretty soon you, you identified Great times with friends and family and the holidays with Budweiser. Yeah. I, I, I had a, a friend that used to joke about uh, Bud Light. He wasn't a Bud Light drinker. It was, he called it the uh, number two number two best beer in the world because people go somewhere and order what they want. They don't have it. Okay, I'll have a Bud Light. But that's where the name recognition comes in and the experience. So. I like to saw a, a, a flashback on the Saturday Night Live. It had uh, Gilda Radner, and there's Bellucci. On the, he was like a bartender and she goes it goes two cokes he goes no cokes pepsi only pepsi pepsi but it, it's when he's making the burgers in it yeah <laughs> cheeseburger 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 no pepsi that that was in the old classic uh saturday night live days for sure uh, as john belushi right yeah yep well and, and to me those, those were the the zenith years of uh of saturday night live i mean i haven't laughed at a saturday night episode in years and I tried watching, but I just they don't do anything that. Uh... Well, yeah, I, I think with a, a small shift. I, I, of course, we remember all the good ones. We forget about the bad ones. But they they were just always kind of making fun of everything. Yeah. It seems like Saturday Night Live now is it's so major, politicized. It, it's all political, and you're like, come on, man. Let's. I I watch TV and sports for because I want to sit down and enjoy, relax, not getting all the political stuff thrown at me. And, and I think that's what uh, Saturday Night Live's done as well. I agree. I think that uh, people just say, can't you just tell us a story? You yeah. know, does it have to have some kind of a, a hidden message? Like these two drunk American tourists who spent the night in the Eiffel Tower. Is this a good story or a bad story? I, I don't know. I haven't <laughs> read it. It says, American men spend the night between the famed Paris landmarks, second and third levels, this report says. Uh, the two American tourists who appear to have stuck because of how drunk they were have spent a night in the Eiffel Tower, a report says, citing prosecutors in the French capital. Did you spend the night in the Eiffel Tower? <laughs> um, it says that uh, uh, 
this company that operates the iconic landmark in Paris told the AFP, whatever that is, that security guards found the two men prior to the tower's opening on Monday at 9 a.m. Police source told news agency that the pair paid for tickets around 10.40 p.m. Sunday, then jumped over security barriers while descending stairs from the tower's uh, top viewing platform, which is 905 feet high. The men ended up spending the night at an area close to the public between the tower's second and third levels. They, I guess they couldn't get out of there. They were trapped like rats in the <laughs> Eiffel Tower. They thought it was a funny idea at the beginning. Yes, as they appear to have gotten stuck because of how drunk they were, Paris prosecutors reportedly said, firefighters from a specialized unit were sent to recover the men. This men are drunk. <laughs> I'm just curious. Do they have the name of the men in there? No, nah, I don't see it. It Is says... Uh, a Greg and a Steve, by chance? <laughs> no, it doesn't say that. <laughs> I just have some friends, Greg the, and Steve. They, they, went going. To, they could, they could <laughs> have very well been these people. Uh, said this... The, uh, said, despite saying the men did not pose any apparent threat, indicated they will file a criminal complaint. Eiffel Tower's opening was delayed for about an hour on Monday. Where are we delaying the opening? Drunk Americans? <laughs> there were there was more in there, weren't they? Uh, well, you never know. But that's that's those are the people that give Americans a bad name. You know? Yeah. You go someplace and say, are you going to be a drunk American? I'm hoping to be. I'm we, on vacation. We never plan on being one. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so they, they, they survived it. So I guess that's a good thing. That, that is good. You know what? They created a pretty good memory for themselves though. They did. They said, did you read about us on our vacation? That <laughs> <laughs> was us. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, then we'll come back and we'll, we got an exhibition game tonight. It's the, uh, the Browns and the Eagles. It, yeah. Browns and Eagles. Big game. And, uh, will they be playing scrubs or the good guys? We'll find out. Stay with us. We'll be back. <laughs> And welcome back. Did you hear how loud I did that? Wow! Your, your voice is so awesome, Earl. <laughs> I think it's so, so awful. <laughs> yes, it is. That's why they said don't do that again. Maybe I mispronounced awesome. Uh, in addition to all that he does uh, in the business world, uh, uh, Mike is a uh, referee, a football referee, and uh-huh. has been doing that for years. A big sports, a Notre Dame fan. Yeah. Dallas Cowboy fan. In fact, on side note, high school football starts this week. Yes, it does. Uh, in fact, I have my first game when I leave here. Get to go to Briarcrest uh, for this in, evening. In fact, we're broadcasting that game. Yeah. They, they, this is uh, their their middle school games tonight. Oh, we won't, Friday, be, we won't be broadcasting. Yeah, yeah. No. I doubt if you be at those games. No, it, that's what people don't realize. You're not just out there on Friday nights. You're you're out there yeah, the other night because you you got they have referees too. Even when I was in grade school, you had referees in grade school. And, and I tell you that that's that's the part people don't realize. It wears you out. You end yeah. up doing games Monday through Friday. Well, now through Saturday because you have all the that's when all the youth leagues are. And uh, with the short of officials, you're you're doing games six six seven nights a week. And regardless how good a shape you are, it takes a beating on your body after a while. Oh, and as you get older, you'll find that. Uh, You'll sit there and go, can I just sit here and have a beverage? <laughs> well, as my uh, knee replacement, my uh, broken knee from last year, my two Achilles, they, they'll attest for uh, sometimes it's good yeah. just to uh, sit back and enjoy. Just like me, when my son says, Dad, you want to go horseback riding? I go, I don't think so. I'll hold the camera and take your picture. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch you. How about that? Uh, speaking of Briarcrest, have you been keeping up with the Michael Orr and the Sean and yeah, uh, the Yeah, unfortunately, it'd be hard not to see that. They threw it out in the media pretty good. But, yes, I have been reading a little bit about that. 
you, the what is your take on things? I mean, you're obviously you're, you referee the games, but other than that, you really have no. I I think uh, one of the great things about it, I, I from what I know from watching the movie, I actually read the book as well. Um, I, I think you have a family that brought someone in, did them a, a, a great service, and uh, I, I think Michael Orr would have, have a completely different life if it wasn't for them. Um, and I, I, I you know, it, it, it's it's difficult because again, I, I think they did a a, a great. I don't think favors the right because I, I truly think they were doing it out of the goodness of their heart when they brought him in. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's definitely a different, different lifestyle from where Michael was living prior to living with them. Um, and then I think the best part is, is the, uh, that the family provided him learning up, you know, playing football, uh, getting into Ole Miss and getting in the NFL. Now those are all Michael's skills. I mean, he, he had to have those skills to get there, but I, I think the, uh, unless Tui family, is yeah. saying it right? Um, they had to present those opportunities for him to get there, and I, I think they helped him uh, uh, dramatically on, on, on being able to get there. Well, the, the guy that wrote the book, uh, Lewis told the Washington Post yesterday in an interview that no one who was involved in the book saw millions of dollars, which uh, Michael's saying that there was a million dollars he got cut out of, uh, from the movie. He said the movie earned nearly $310 million for the box office, in the book, Lewis followed Orr from his upbringing in a poor community, his years uh, at a private school, Briarcrest in Memphis, to his alleged adoption by Sean and Leanne Tui. Uh, Orr filed a lawsuit Monday claiming the Tuies had never adopted him but created a conservatorship over him. Others, Huey, uh, Orr said he received nothing from the movie. Tui's lawyer on Wednesday said, they estimated Orr and the family received $100,000 apiece and the couple paid taxes on the player's portion. So they, he got a cool 100 and they paid the taxes on it. Um, he said, everybody should be mad at the Hollywood studio system, Lewis said at the Washington Post. Michael Orr should join the writer's strike. It's outrageous how Hollywood accounting works, but the money is not in the two of his pockets. And I happen to know that just because I've known people that have, that have invested in movies. Yeah. And they'll make millions of dollars, and then they get through with their accounting. No, there's no no profits left. We used them all. It's funny how as much money as they have, as much money as they spend. Just slid right through our fingers. Don't know what happened. I uh, said the Tui family planned to share the money with Orb, but NFL player declined his royalty checks. Lewis said that he thought that the Tui family had put the checks into a trust for uh, Orr's son. Now, whether he thought that or they told him that, uh, they, he's saying that's what he thought. What I feel really sad about is I watched the whole thing up close, Lewis said. They showered him with resources and love. Uh, that he's suspicious of them is breathtaking. The state of mind one has to be in to do that, I feel sad for him. One of Tui's lawyers, Randall Fishman, who I happen to know, and said Wednesday the family is looking to end the conservatorship he said the family intends to enter into a consent order to end the conservatorship and that or mentioned being uh, conservators for him three times in the 2011 book. He said he didn't have any. He thought he was adopted. But in his 2011 book, they mentioned three times the conservatorship. Uh, I said, I, I beat the odds from homeless to the blind side. And that was in, in his book that he yeah. wrote. And so uh, the family's attorney said also said that Tui's and others had been a that or had been estranged for about a decade. Steve Reese, who's one of the probably premier attorneys in the city, said 
or had become more and more vocal and more and more threatening over the past decade or so, and this has been devastating to the family. Moore claimed the Tuies falsely represented themselves as his adoptive parents. You know, I don't think when you say so, yeah, we adopted him. It's a lot easier to explain the conservatorship. Yeah. I mean, you, sit there, you just simply say, yeah, we adopted him. And funny, to you and I, they're the same. When you start going what they're dealing with now, there's obviously a difference. And I think that's... Well, and, and, but you said your, your own brother adopted a, a, for very similar circumstances. Yeah, very, very same. And I, I think for the whole purpose, they just say, hey, we adopted him. Yeah. Uh, we got to take a quick break. It's a hard break. We'll come back, and uh, we then we'll get into the uh, playoff or preseason games. So stay with us. Now, back to the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. Once again, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and welcome back uh, on this uh, Thursday, which there's another exhibition game tonight. Uh, we got uh, Mike Adamson in, who's a referee, local referee here in the area, so he has some knowledge of football. Um, <laughs> he's usually wrong because everybody yells at him, whatever decision he makes. I, I don't think I've heard many people say a referee and then say that he has knowledge of football. No, because they're always yelled at you. <laughs> but uh, tonight it'll be the Browns versus the Eagles. That's going to start at 6.30. Uh, by the way, I understand that if you have a dish television, you can't right now, I don't know if it's been solved yet, but you, a lot of people couldn't watch football this weekend uh, and the golf tournament. Uh, oh, I didn't realize Because that. Uh, Channel 3 uh, has uh, fallen in disfavor with the dish people. Yeah. And so they're not uh, rebroadcasting any of the stuff uh, that uh, the network sends down, which I don't understand how they can not rebroadcast what the network's doing uh but i guess you got to pay to play it's an important part of that process i think but it's unfortunate when they get in that uh, contract dispute we suffer well yeah (laughs) and and, and it's happened before with cable you know where they said they didn't pay up and so they threatened to cut off i think they always solved it with cable before but right now uh, you got the dish situation going on which would really make me angry i mean can't watch, and then I know that I tried to watch the Cowboys last Saturday, and they would just stay on them for a little bit, and they would switch off because they had like six games going at the same time. It's because nobody cares about the Cowboys. No, it's nobody in your neighborhood. <laughs> they call that the dumb block. <laughs> I, I think I think it was my reason. <laughs> uh, but the Browns and the Eagles, of course, everybody's playing their rookies and their wannabes and uh, the, the up-and-coming quarterbacks. Is, and, and, in fact, I've seen whole shows on, would you play your starting quarterback right now? Nobody says, nah, I'm going to put my starting quarterback yeah. in now. You know, the, it's unfortunate. They can get injured any day, whether it's practice or the game. But, you know, that, that preseason game truly does not mean anything no. except for evaluating players. And you already know who your starting quarterback is. You already know who your starting right guard is. But at the same time, they need to have that game experience. They need to have that, you know, uh, that, that – just get their body ready no, for the, the game. Reps, so, as they so say. I, I think it's important, but you know, I know when they're going in practice, most of the time the quarterbacks aren't allowed to be hit, so it, they need to be able to take those hits. So when they get hit first time, the first first game, it's you're not all of a sudden going, oh my gosh, you know, your, your body. It takes a couple of weeks for your bodies to get used to that, and that's why they have preseason. Let me tell you your body never gets used to getting pounded on. <laughs> <laughs> Mine looks like it's been pounded on, but it, it doesn't get used to it at all. 
So uh, let's just say, for argument's sake, who are you picking between the Browns and the Eagles right now? Well, I think if it's obviously a regular season, I think that the, the uh, Eagles. Eagles would be all over this one, yes. Panthers uh, versus the Giants. This can be tomorrow night, Friday night at 6 o'clock. Uh, uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts yeah, see, on that? I, I, this, this game for me falls into the one that I really don't care about at yeah. all. But I'd, uh, I'd, I'd probably go. I think the Giants, the Giants would probably take yeah. this one going on regular. I used to like it when Eli played for the Giants because uh-huh. I had the, uh, the the family connection. And it, 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 you bring up something too. It's funny how the teams are changing their players so often yeah. now. I mean, you used to. There's no brand loyalty yeah. it, except it, for me and the Cowboys. <laughs> and there's a key what process you and the Cowboys, not the Cowboys and you. No, they have no idea I exist, <laughs> but I know they exist. But I, I think, you know, that, that brand loyal, you, you just start liking a team because of that quarterback or that running back, and all of a sudden, you know, they're gone. And, but, they, but they've come and gone for years. I mean, when I first started watching the Cowboys, I think that they had, uh, it was before uh, Staubach. Uh, wow. Greg Morton. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dandy Don Meredith. I mean, yeah. I was watching back in those days. I remember Dandy Don, and he was, he was the ice tea man, wasn't he? Uh, he was. <laughs> and the son of Mr. and Mrs. Uh, uh, Meredith. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but that's, I've been watching it ever since then. In fact, when I got to, when I worked in Dallas, I got to cover the Cowboys. I actually went into the dressing room and here's Robert Newhouse, Staubach, all these players. <laughs> and you want to go up and say hi to them and shake their hand. But uh, that was the days before they let women in the locker room and everybody was naked. So you, <laughs> hey, you don't hey, go, hey, put it in a vice. <laughs> you, you don't ever have to say my eyes are up here, do you? <laughs> but everybody walks around like it's no big deal, you know, yeah. but I'm, uh, I'm sitting there going, um, the first time you meet somebody you've always watched your whole life, and then you go, they're buck naked. You can see the whole birthday suit. It's a little different. It, it, I didn't know, recognize you without your football suit on. It, you know, it is funny, though. You, you forget that those guys are they're, they're just people, though. You know, they're obviously big, massive people. Yeah. But uh, load comes down to it. They're just everyday people just like us. They're probably not as funny as you and I, but but they're a lot stronger. In well, the, they are when they're in the locker room because they're always giving everybody the business. Uh and then, and they're usually all either wet from sweat or wet from going out of the shower. And they always like to rub up against everybody in their clothes. Oh, excuse me, man. Hey, man, you got me all sweaty. Come on, man. You, you think they do that on purpose? Yes, I do. <laughs> I think they do most of the stuff they do to you. This is definitely on purpose. Okay, then you've got uh, the um, Panthers and Giants. You, you you don't care who wins that one. Yeah. Okay. Bengals and the Falcons, that's uh, tomorrow night at 630. I think the Bengals are going to be one of the upcoming teams this year. They, they finished strong last year. And Falcons could never have had yeah. anything going in years. That's a shame, too, because you got a great baseball team in Atlanta, but the football yeah. team is just they, – they well, keep they, hoping. They, they, kind of, they kind of peaked there for a couple of years, but uh, the last few years they have not been as strong. No, I think that's what peaking is all about. You yeah. peak and then you start you, downhill again. It, it's, it's good to stay up on top of that <laughs> mountain, isn't it? <laughs> you need to entrench at the top. <laughs> Uh, Jaguars and Lions, Saturday at uh, 12 noon. You know, the Lions have never won a Super Bowl, That's been to right. the Super Bowl. Yeah. I don't think this is their year, but they're supposed to be better this year. <laughs> uh, remember when, uh, who was the guy that uh, made the movie about it? Uh, Paper Lion, George Plimpton, mm-hmm. uh, where he got to go out, and he was just a writer, and he was going to go out and be playing a game as the quarterback, mm-hmm. and they just pounded him. <laughs> just pounded him. <laughs> he found out how difficult yeah. it is. He said, don't do that again. Yeah. In fact, that was the year that uh, it was later on, but uh, that's where I got the idea from when Pepper Rogers was coach of the showboats. I came out and said, let me just go through the drill. I'm like, well, I don't want to play in a game. God knows you'd get killed. Reggie White was playing for the uh-huh. I said, I just want to go through like uh, the practice drills. And she's out there with his whistle, up, down, up, down. 
You go through the tires and need a break. And uh, he said, after a little bit, I said, I quit. <laughs> I don't want to play football anymore. So then, uh, as far as the Jaguars, the Lions, you got a favorite? Oh, I actually, I think on that one, I think the Lions, yeah. they're, they're, they really are. They're supposed to have a better year. They're actually projecting a winning season by the Lions this year. And this next, and that next game is Saturday also, uh, Saturday, uh, 3 p.m., the Dolphins and the Texans. And the Dolphins are supposed to be bad. They're, I mean, bad isn't good, good this year. <laughs> they're, they're, I think they're another good one. Uh, I, I think they're a true, uh, strong playoff contender. The Texans, unfortunately, uh, not, not so much. They've no, been struggling. The, they're, they're peaking in their own direction. And you got uh, the Bills and the Steelers. Uh, the Bills are supposed to be really good yep. this year. The Steelers, not so much. Again, the Steelers is funny. They, they they're never bad, but they've just struck, they haven't been able to be that strong number one for a while. You know, in Roethlisberger for years, they were almost there all the time. Mm-hmm. But it has been literally like when the Cowboys used to win all the time, mm-hmm. and then it's been the same thing now with the Steelers. Yeah. and Franco Harris, those days yeah. are gone. Uh, and, and, and they came back. They've they've had a few seasons here and there in the in the last ten years, um, but that that consistency overall. But I, I, actually, as organizations go, I think from the owners down, I think that's one of the better organized uh, uh, teams out there. Just in my opinion, just from the way uh, they treat everybody and uh, a, a true team atmosphere. Then you got the uh, Bears and the Colts. They'll be playing at uh, six o'clock Saturday. Um, and the Bears, they had they had a pretty good year last year. Yeah, the Bears, they did all right. Um, I, I think this one, this game, I, I'm going to be, I'm a Colts fan. Um, I think the Colts are a team right there, man. They they're wanting to be good, they're trying to be good, and they just can't break that bubble again. It's kinda, they're just not good. Yeah, well, they're good, Earl. I'm, I'm trying to be say that. Uh, their new quarterback uh, Richardson, I, I think he's gonna, he could be a decent player, um, and that that obviously has a big impact. The Bears just struggle with quarterbacks. I think that's been their their, their big issue the last yeah, few years. It has been. Um, so then the the Buccaneers and the Jets. Jets are supposed to be really good this year. Buccaneers. They got still got Tom Brady. What's going to happen there? <laughs> I, I want to say so many things about the Jets, and it's not just because of the team. It's because of my friends that are uh, the fans Jets. of the Jets. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's funny how that makes you not like a team sometimes, isn't it? Oh, it is. <laughs> you don't like the people who like the team. It's, it's kind of like me with the Cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> You don't like us. We don't like, we don't you. like you. But they don't know who you are. <laughs> I, I think the I think the Buccaneers are not. I don't think they're going to be the team that they've been the last couple of years. I think uh, this, Brady, this will be Brady's last yeah. year. I think he's on the down end. It doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback. He's just not as good as what he was. And he, you know how it is. We get older, and our body just doesn't do some of those things that uh, that that we want it. My to. body never did. <laughs> well, we're, we're both in that same category, but. He had the pleasure of his body doing yeah, everything right. He did. Um, so I, I think I, I, the, the Bucks. I think they're going to struggle a little bit this year. And uh, But I think in the flip side of that, I think the Jets are going to do all right. What about uh, Brady's ex-wife? Where is she now? Does anybody know? I don't know, but I bet she's got a lot of money. Got a lot of money, and there's always somebody that's always going, I think you're pretty. You, th- you think about last year, that was all that you heard about. Yeah. Now, you know, it's not and nothing. Nobody knows where she is. In reality, that's how it should be. It's, that's their person. I will say this. She will cost somebody a fortune. <laughs> wherever she is uh then you got uh, the titans and the vikings saturday oh. at seven o'clock i'm I, I still put the the vikings with fran tarkington and uh that's why i always root for the vikings when they're, when they're playing uh you don't care about the Titans? i'm not a titans fan you ever I, since I, they they screwed us when they came through Memphis? It, it, and see 
I, I didn't know that story for until just a couple of years ago, but that just even yeah. solidified they it. They came here as the Oilers until they got their stadium yeah. built. And now they're getting a brand new stadium that's going to be state of the art. Yeah. And they told us that we can come anytime they want, but you have to pay. Our, uh, my good friend Dewey has uh, season tickets, so we get to go see the Titans a few times. But Well, uh, we're not going to see them tonight. That'll be Saturday. Yeah. So, But we are going to take a break right now and come back and we'll wrap up uh, our preview of the preseason. Hey, welcome back on a Thursday afternoon. Weather's still good. I understand it's supposed to get hot again tomorrow, but... It, uh, we're here with Mike Adamson, who's a, uh, he has his regular business, Bluff City, uh, Bluff City Supplies, supplies. Uh, but then he also uh, referees a football game just about every night of the week, uh, except Sundays at this it time seemed, of year. Yeah, and there's probably somewhere out there playing. You know, the, the amazing thing, I'm lucky that I have a hobby, because I, I, I really do enjoy it. I don't think I'd do it for free anymore, but I have a hobby that I get paid well. Yeah, uh, paid and, for. and you do. And uh, I, I I enjoy that. You know, you know, people yell at you. You don't deserve your money. Yeah, come out here and you try it. I'll pay you <laughs> twice for you to do one game. And I don't think most of them would do it. Uh, you just gotta not pay. That's the thing I've always admired about referees. No matter what you yell at them, they never look at you. They never react. They're not like umpires in baseball. Yeah, now, umpires in baseball, they get right up in your face. Well, you yell at them, they'll yell back at you, and, and then I, they'll throw you out of the game. I think it depends. The, the higher up you go, the less that should happen. But, it, but people forget whether the umpire is good or bad. He's still human, no different than that player, than that coach or whatever. So sometimes I think the, uh, the way some referees have responded inappropriately <laughs> has created bigger problems. But it's best just to keep your mouth shut. Well, but yeah, because when, when, when they make a glaring error, though, and it's obviously that somebody did something and they didn't get called or they did something or didn't do yeah. something get called, and you'd think they'd look at get on the loudspeaker. Okay, uh, fans, I, I, that was a bad call on my part, and uh, we're just going to play like that never happened. Uh, suck it down. Well, I, I, I'll honestly say this. In all the sports, I think it's hard for somebody to purposely make a bad call, and I don't think anybody's ever made a bad call on purpose. That's, that's my thought. Now, has there been some bad calls? Yeah, and I'm sure I've made mine. Of course, I don't remember them. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I know they've been there. Um, and, you know, the worst part about it, I, 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 I had a call in a baseball game. I don't remember I called the kids safe or out or out or safe, whichever way it was, but I, I know that I called it wrong. And I was just, oh, man. And then you're sitting there worried about it. Uh, then after that, like the next three batters hit home runs, and that team that I called that against lost. I felt bad. Um, man, it, it's just part of I, I truly believe it's part of the game. Um, no different than that air, things like that. But, you know, even if you if you call something for a team and you think, you know, okay, I may, I may have leaned a little bit toward them because I kind of felt sorry for them because they really had some bad calls earlier. Not me, but the, one of the other yeah. refs. This is like me. I live on the golf course. Sometimes people hit a ball in my yard. I'll go get the ball and I'll throw it out there in the golf course. Help them out, yeah. right? Now, they don't know I threw it out there. <laughs> exactly. And they just said they get up there, go, oh, look, man, it bounced right out here in the middle of the fairway. <laughs> And, and invariably, they'll get up there and they'll hit it and they'll shank it, skull it, slice mm-hmm. it, uh, hook it. And I go, so even if you get help sometimes, it doesn't do you any good. Yeah. The Whatever the, the rules of the game are, whatever the karma is, or it takes over. And there are some things, no matter what happens, you're not going to win that game. Yeah. You know, And that's what, when, when we have replay in all the sports now. I know I'm a little biased because I'm, I'm an official. But it's amazing. You'll watch a replay over and over and over frame by frame 
and you still can't tell whether the guy was out or safe or whether well, his foot stepped out I of bounds. Can. Uh, well, I, I look depends. at it, if it's Dallas, he's in. <laughs> that was my next statement. It depends on whether you're rooting for the team or not rooting for the team, how that goes. So, but but I, I but I really am objective, and I'll sit there and say, nah, he was out. And yeah. and, uh, and and my son will be watching. And I'll say, no, that that was a good call. I hate it, but it was a good call. Yeah. And I think most fans are it, but. Uh, I go back to the, was the Michael Irving, the catch that mm-hmm. wasn't a catch yeah. uh, to this day. That was a catch. Yeah. But, but especially all by their definition and everything that yeah. was out there. And it, that's what people, we, we, as a fan, we watch the game because we love it. Mm-hmm. We think we know the rules, but there's a lot of weird rules in there uh, that, that start popping in. And, and it's amazing when, when an official follows through and does everything the way they're supposed to. Everybody, oh, he didn't know what he's doing. Hey, I just followed the rule. What or I'm or to if do. they do like a, you know, they'll the guy, the quarterback throws the ball, it ricochets off the helmet of his player before it is intercepted by the other team, who then fumbles it into the air, and the other guy catches it. Exactly, that could be out of order somehow, mm-hmm. and it would be called an incomplete pass, right? Even though a guy ended up catching it, mm-hmm. and you sit there and go, okay, I admit, I don't know the rule on that one. Yeah, and because it gets that complicated, but and, the refs are required to know and. And that, and and to keep in mind, I think the other part that people forget, they need to know right then. Yeah. Not not. Hey, let me think about that for We're a minute. We're gonna be uh, calling New York. Yeah. Now that you that people complain sometimes in football game that they get together and talk about it, and most of the time they're not sitting there going, "Well, is it this rule? This rule? This rule?" The, the guy, the white hat, the referees, he's going, "What do you have? What do you have?" To make sure they're all on the same page, so when they come out and do it, and. I think another one that people always complain, say that how bad the officials are, they have so much more training nowadays than they, they used, used to. They used to, yeah. Now, I think we just have that, you know, the, that camera's on everybody all the time. But they, I, I think they're a fun part of the game. I think they're a good part of the game. Um, I think the fans have gotten where they blame the officials too much for your team. You said earlier, sometimes your team's just going to get yeah, yeah, they're losers. That's it for us, Mike. Thanks for coming in. Always glad having you. Um, Watch some football. Don't break your ankle. (laughs) Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Same time, same place. We'll see you then.